Sequart presents Judging Dread, 13 essays analyzing 2000 AD's most beloved and reviled character, forward by Matt Smith, interview with Rob Williams, edited by Scott Weatherly. Find out who is the law. Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. Just want to quickly add him before we get started. I featured on a podcast, which is also a YouTube show called Star Wars Timeline. The podcast is the Star Wars Timeline Timecast. I'm not sure if it's on the normal podcasting apps or anything as of yet, but it is on YouTube and you get to see video footage. So you get to see me chatting with Ben, who is the host of the show. I really, really recommend it. I've included links in the description to it, but Ben is such a nice guy. He's one of the nicest people I've met who are directly involved with Star Wars. He was incredibly gracious to have me on the show and we spoke for just just under two hours about the three trilogies of Star Wars, obviously prequels, originals, and sequels, how they compare, some of the flaws in them, what our personal favorites are, some of the issues, that sort of thing. It's just a really big discussion on the main nine films of Star Wars. So I've included a link in the description to that onto YouTube. Please go over there and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Like his video and comment saying, not only do you really enjoy the show, but also the fact that I sent you over to listen, because I know he'll really, really appreciate that. So if you can do me any favors at all this week, guys, please go over over to youtube star wars timeline is the name of the channel and the episode is it's called like a sequel discussion or something it's released in the same on monday just gone so monday the 26th of july 2021 please go over and check that out um the channel can be a little bit hard to find sometimes so just make sure you use the link in the description that i've put anyway guys thank you for that on with the show and so brings episode 66 so then guys, this week I am tackling the second volume of the 2017 Darth Vader run. And uh, I was going to try and do a Palpatine impression to do um, episode 66, but after several attempts, it just sounded awful and I gave up. So if you want to hear a very bad attempt at that, tune into the last episode of Star Wars Comics and Canon, where right at the very end, I basically give it a go. But I can't do that very well. I tried. I am sorry for disappointing all of you. But let's get on with this. So as I said, it's volume two of the 2017 Darth Vader run. The trade paperback collection of this is Legacy's End, that's what the name of it is, but it has two storylines within it. The first is for four issues, and that's The Dying Light, and then the second is two issues, which is The Rule of Five. So it's going to be issues seven to twelve. Um, issue seven was released in November 2017, issue twelve was released in February 2018, the trade paperback collection was released in April 2018, the hardcover collection, which is a volume one and two, that was released in October 2018 and then the omnibus which is going to be all of the 2017 Darth Vader comics is due for release in October 2021. The writer is Charles Saul, the penciler is Giuseppe Caimancoli, the inker is Danielle Orlandini and the colour artist is David Curiel. 
Now, if you are new to the show, I would recommend go back and listen to episode 62. That's when I tackled the first batch of Darth Vader comics. And I'm basically going to be going through the story and talking to you guys about the connective tissue, certain names or things you may recognize, and giving some some degree of trivia and whatnot within the Star Wars universe. And it's all going to be what is canon. So with that all in mind, guys, let's get into the first issue of this. And to begin with, let's do the crawl. The fledgling empire has only just begun across the galaxy. As Emperor Palpatine firms up his grip on the reins of rulership, it falls to those under him to make sure the transition runs smoothly. Lord Darth Vader, Palpatine's Sith apprentice, struggles to come into his own in this new empire. Formerly a Jedi Knight known as Anakin Skywalker, Vader betrayed the Jedi Order and took the lead in their slaughter. Now, Vader has been put in charge of the Inquisitorius, a group of former Jedi fallen to the dark side. Their mission? Continue what Vader began and wipe out the remaining Jedi who have thus far evaded capture. So the story of issue 7 starts with the Inquisitors losing limbs. In essence, Vader has been slicing them off to try and teach them a lesson. He's teaching them loss. Then the Grand Inquisitor arrives and starts questioning him. And Vader confirms that the Inquisitors still fight like Jedi. They're very defensive, moving only to attack when there's no other choice. And this is an error that has infected the Inquisitors' tactics. All of them. And he looks right at the Grand Inquisitor. They have a little bit of back and forth and things, and in essence, the Grand Inquisitor says that you find us to be pathetic and mentions that if they succeed, then Vader's going to get the credit, but if they fail, Vader will also have to own that as well. And then Vader comments saying, you are correct, I do find you pathetic, but I believe in change. All things are possible through the Force. So obviously, Vader is doing a very, very harsh training program on all these. The Grand Inquisitor isn't really thrilled about that, and obviously he thought he was going to be in charge when he's not really, because obviously Vader's just much more powerful than him and obviously in the previous issue that i tackled or the previous volume the grand inquisitor fights off against vader and gets pretty wrecked quite quickly so it's interesting within the ranks of the empire even in the early days there are still to some degree infighting but a lot of it is just fighting the hierarchy of power people not really understanding where they sit because obviously where the republic was there was a structure in a sense generally speaking most people kind of an even playing field and where it's transitioned into the empire And where this is within a year of the end of Revenge of the Sith, there are still some teething problems, shall we call it. But there are this hierarchical thing. It is a common theme, at least in this arc. So I'll be addressing that a little bit more later when we get to it. But just as a little recap, so the Inquisitors, they are former Jedi and they've either been tortured or just asked nicely uh, to turn to the dark side in essence. Some of the Jedi are a bit more resistant and need to get tortured and beaten and influenced into becoming an Inquisitor, whereas other ones like the Grand Inquisitor were quite easy to allow to go down that path. So... The Inquisitors are basically just kind of Sith assassins in a way. It's just if a job is too big for Vader or Palpatine, definitely Palpatine because he seems to not really do the the little nitty gritty work and going down and stopping you know insurgents and whatnot, then the Inquisitors are called and their specific role is to find Jedi and basically exterminate them. Now the Grand Inquisitor, he is the main antagonist for Star Wars Rebels for a while and he's, he's a really good antagonist, I do like him. He does show up very briefly in the Kanan comics as well, which I tackled a few episodes ago. There are members of the Inquisitors that pop up elsewhere, but I will be tackling that when we get to it. 
So back to Vader and the Grand Inquisitor, they're having a conversation and they're walking upstairs and getting away from where the Inquisitors were training, or rather where they're now healing from their fight, where the medical droids are working on them. And they come to a room where there's a big hollow projector in the middle. And they look at a list of known Jedi out in the universe that they need to hunt down. Now the list was given to them by Palpatine, and there is a specific name that is highlighted. Now the Grand Inquisitor was just going to go for the most dangerous ones and work their way down from there. But Vader says, well Palpatine's highlighted this one for a reason, and we're going to go after it. It turns out to be a character called Jocasta Nu, who is an old Jedi archivist. I'll go more into her in a moment. But in essence, Grand Inquisitor questions why we're we going after her. She can't even really fight or anything. And then Vader retorts and says, it is not your place to question. If the Empire wants her destroyed, then it shall be done. So Jocasta Nu is a character you guys would recognise, but you maybe don't realise that you recognise her. So she actually only appears in one Star Wars movie, and that is Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Whenever I talk about her, I always do this little bit, um, because it's the best way for people to remember her. But in essence, when Obi-Wan is told about Kamino, which is where the clones are and whatnot, before he goes there, he goes to the Jedi Archives, and he tries to look in their map, or star maps, and tries to work out where Kamino is. He can't find it, so he calls over Jocasta Nu, who is the main Jedi archivist, basically a Jedi librarian. And when Kenobi says, oh, I'm trying to find this place and it doesn't appear to be here, she says, if it is not in our records, it does not exist. And then walks away. And it's like, from hearing that and from seeing that, I genuinely hated Jocasta Nu. But in this comic, I have got a newfound respect for her in many ways. But I'll get onto that when we get there. Obviously, I'm going through the story. So that's her character. Um, she is in a little bit of other things. So she's in the Master and Apprentice book by Claudia Gray. She does appear in a couple episodes of The Clone Wars. Um, in Legends, she is actually killed by Anakin for refusing to let him into the Jedi archives, interestingly. But that is not the case in canon. But aside from that, it's just that she's quite an old person. Uh, she's a human. She's probably about 60, I think, ish. And she's not known for her fighting skills being top of the line. She's barely used a lightsaber in recent years. Her whole life is the Jedi Archives. And some of the other names on the list that Vader is looking at when he sees Jocasta Nu, the names are in Arabesh, which is phonetically spoken like Galactic Basic, so for argument's sake, English. But it's written in a different way. Each character is something different. There are variations, hence why an X-Wing is called an X-Wing, because there's a variation of Arabesh, which is the same as the English language. I'm not going to delve into all that at the moment. But there are some names in Arabesh, and I managed to look online and found that some of the names were translated. Some of them were basically just made-up names that aren't connected to anything. I think it's just, like, joke names almost. But Ahsoka Tano and Quinlan Voss were among those names, which is quite interesting. Obviously, anyone who watches Clone Wars or Rebels or even uh, some other Star Wars shows will know who Ahsoka Tano is. Whereas Quinlan Voss, he is someone who's in the Clone Wars a bit. He's got quite a bit of impact in Legends. You can see him very briefly in, in Phantom Menace, but it's like... They created the character Quinlan Voss after the extra in Phantom Menace looked the way he did. So it's kind of like a retroactive connection. He was like undercover and stuff, apparently. Uh, but Quinlan Voss is main in the canon sort of coming to light would be there's a Clone Wars arc where he's featured in it. And he's also in the book Dark Disciple. And he's entangled with Asajj Ventress towards the end of the Clone Wars. He's a very interesting character. I have no doubt that Quinlan Voss is going to show up again soon. I would not be surprised if he shows up in the Bad Batch because there's been a lot of comics and things like that that keep referencing 
referencing him, but yeah, if you don't remember him, he's basically, I think he has like dreadlocks sort of thing. He's normally, he's dark skinned. He's got like a yellow stripe of paint across the center of his face going across his nose. And he has psychometry or psychometry, which is what Cal Kestis has from Fallen Order. Basically, he can touch things and they have like a force echo almost. And so you can kind of sense who's previously touched them or the last thing they were used for. Those kinds of things. That's what Quinlan Voss's speciality was. But anyway, off of Quinlan Voss. Back to the story, it shows Jocasta Nu is on some nice green planet with some waterfalls around her, and she is creating holocrons using her knowledge with a gentleman called Dar. And she's trying to create a new archive, and in essence is trying to create a school. Now, holocrons, I've explained quite a lot on this podcast before, but just in case you're new to them, they are basically like a Jedi USB stick that can also play audio and video. In essence, it's a little bit hazy in canon the way they go with it, but what it seems to be is the holocron cube thing itself is like a player and then you have to have a specific like memory crystal almost inside of that now pretty much every time we see a holocron in the canon um, they're in star wars rebels a fair amount and i know they're in the clone wars a bit too they've already got the memory crystal in there so you can open up a holocron but only if you are a force user and it's meant to only be a jedi but i'm pretty certain this dark side users can still open them but in essence you have to be able to use the force to be able to open up holocron and then you get to hear the message or get access to the information or whatever there's not really a clear indication of how much information you can fill on there i think it's quite substantial but the majority of the ones that we see in canon is normally just like a a message from someone for like a couple of minutes but jocasta knew she's basically recording all this information it's got her talking into it and things so she's trying to rebuild the archives in some senses and this person is really called dar he's just seemingly a human person who's not force sensitive and is there's not really any backstory to him and he pops up once more in these comics but i'm just going to kind of glaze over him so while we see this is what's happening with Jocasta Nu at the moment, the Grand Inquisitor explains why he hates her so much, um, which I've covered it before, but in essence, he wanted to look at all of the knowledge in the archives, including some of the forbidden knowledge, which is about dark side stuff and Sith things and artifacts. She wouldn't let him, and therefore he had a grudge against her, which slowly festered and became a grudge against the Jedi Order, because, you know, he was not allowed to get into the forbidden knowledge, which is why he became an Inquisitor so easily, because the deal was he would do anything Palpatine wanted if he could get access to to the archives. So Vader tells the Grand Inquisitor to look in the archives for information on some of the remaining Jedi, more specifically Jocasta Nu, so he is doing that. It shows that Jocasta then leaves the planet and leaving Dar behind. She says she needs to get something important. So then Vader leaves the Grand Inquisitor in the archives and talks to Palpatine. He asks why Jocasta is so important, and Palpatine confirms that she knows everything from the archives, as in, she's put it all away, she knows more information than arguably any Jedi that are out there, including dark side things, including light side things, because the Jedi, in Palpatine's mind, stole information from the Sith, they went to ancient Sith temples and took artifacts and whatnot, and so it's hidden somewhere in the archives, and also Jocasta Noon knows a huge amount of this information, which could be enough to bring down the Empire in certain ways if you correctly. And while this conversation is going on, Jocasta goes to Coruscant. She manages to get through some troopers by mind-tricking them, and then uses a secret entrance to get into the Jedi Temple. And the little door that she opens and comes out of is like this Jedi statue. And I think you can actually see him in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, if I'm not mistaken. And then issue 7 ends with Palpatine saying that Jocasta Nu has, a, has hidden a great treasure which could change the galaxy. So Vader must find her and must save her. So to make sure that Vader doesn't just kill her like he does with almost everyone else he comes into contact with because she is incredibly valuable. 
So, issue 8 starts with Vader choking an Imperial officer in Palpatine's office. He doesn't kill him and kind of lets him scurry off, and then Palpatine warns Vader, saying, you know, be careful that you overkill people. We understand that everyone around is lesser beings, no one has the power that we have, but I don't want to rule over an empire of the dead. And although this is an interesting line and does make sense, it is quite funny that Vader in the original trilogy seems to completely go against that. So maybe after like 15-ish years, uh, obviously the original trilogy is about 19 years after this, but I imagine after maybe 15 years or something, Palpatine just kind of became more lax with Vader and kind of let him do whatever he wanted once the Empire was kind of more set in stone. Um, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Continuing with the story, it shows that Jocasta knew after getting into the former Jedi Temple, because obviously, even though I'm calling it the Jedi Temple, it's no longer the Jedi Temple anymore, technically, and she's left her droid B2 with her Starfighter. Now, her droid B2 is an astromech droid. It's part of the R series, so much like R2-D2, it's the same series, and apparently there are R0s all the way up to R6s. Uh, so this one's being B2. I wouldn't be surprised if this was R2-B2 or something along those lines. And just for clarity, astromech droids, as they sound, they're astromechanical, so they're basically the droids that fix ships and things or help navigate starfighters, those sorts of things. And BB-8, although BB-8 is a BB unit instead of an R-series, is basically just a newer version of an astromech droid. There are multiple different astromech droids in the galaxy, but it's just kind of easy to see. It was, you know, Chopper from Rebels. He's like a really old model. And then R2 is like a slightly newer model, I think. And then BB-8 is an even newer model. So they're all astromechs. They all, generally speaking, do the same thing. So in it, B2 being by Jocasta's Starfighter, her Starfighter is one of the older types, which was the same as Girak in Filas, which was the character from Volume 1 of the Vader run. It's a Delta 7 Aether Sprite class light interceptor, um, so it's basically just the triangle ones, uh, basically from Attack of the Clones, that era when you see Obi-Wan flying it, they look like that. So back to the story, you got B2 at the Starfighter, and then some local police eventually break into where it's hidden away, and B2's got this contingency program he's agreed with Jocasta Nu where he does it and it blows up the starfighter and him completely so that no one discovers it. While that's happening, Jocasta Nu manages to sneak past the Grand Inquisitor. He's in the middle of the archives, you know, reading through things and commenting on them as he does, and she's sneaking around in the upper levels trying to avoid him. This local police force was basically completely taken out, so some Imperials go down to check the remnants of the ship and they find a bit of rubble that has got the Jedi insignia on it, so they have to report to someone new to them, Darth Vader. It's hard to explain the Jedi insignia, you've probably seen it quite a lot. I'm, I think in Clone Wars, Obi-Wan has it on his like Clone Wars armor, that's the, the sort of things he wears on his arms. It is basically like a lightsaber sort of thing, with two sort of curved lines around it, almost like wings. Uh, just Google Jedi logo insignia or something, you'll, you'll find them. It's, it's hard to explain a logo in audio format. So when the Imperial officer mentions Vader, it then shows what Vader is up to. He is actually meditating and he has this sort of force vision thing. And before it comes to fruition, what it actually was, he is interrupted and he's told about the Jedi potentially being involved. And while that happens, Jocasta Nu enters a secret room in the Jedi archives. So you don't get to see too much of the secret room, which saddens me because I love being able to spot all the different things in the background. Uh, but in essence, there's a secret room. There's a droid in there as well who talks to Jocasta Nu. And this droid is called Ktor. Well, that's what she calls him. We haven't got an official name for him. Um, he is a guardian droid, like a guardian protector droid. Um, there's not exact 
examples of him online, but he's kind of similar to K2SO, the droid from Rogue One. Imagine a little bit like that, but kind of combined with some of the droids from the Clone Wars in a way. I think they're called like the strategic droids or something like that. Um, but he's not in it that much, so that's not necessarily relevant. But in this secret room, you get to see a few bits and pieces. You get to see some Sith holocrons, which are the pyramid shapes, and you get to see them. They're in Legends loads, but in canon, they're in Star Wars Rebels, a specific arc towards the end of Series 2 that that's in. And then there's also, you know, Jedi holocrons as well. And there's also something that looks like it's a prototype of the Delta Seven Aether Sprite class light interceptor. So basically the Jedi star fighter, the triangular one. It's either a really amazing cool variant of that or it's a prototype. It kind of is black, but it glows blue and it doesn't look like any of the other ones and they pay no other attention to it apart from it's in one photo. I just thought that looked really cool. And the only other thing worth noting in the secret vault room is the Mask of Momin. Now, if anyone's been listening to Styles Comics in Canada this whole time, or if they've read a lot of Styles Comics, you would probably recognize it. Now, the Mask of Moment does come up again in this run, and I won't spoil what happens with it. But in a mini-series done by Charles Saul, the Lando mini-series, which is also part of the Heroes of a New Hope like hardcover collection I've got, in that, the Lando comic, which is set, I think, just around... A New Hope, I think it's shortly after A New Hope, because obviously Lando doesn't come into the, the fray until Empire Strikes Back, but he's still doing things in the galaxy before that. And so it's not the Donald Glover slash solo version of Lando, it is the Billy D. Williams Lando. And the mask of moment in that basically possesses someone, and they go a bit mental, and then there's like a fight that goes out. I won't delve into it all here, but if you want to hear about this Lando comic, obviously you can go read it, but if you want to hear about it, I do tackle it on episode 18 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, so go check that out as well. So back to the story, we've got Vader is talking to an investigator who says that he doubts that the ship is a Jedi's, it's probably just some sort of graffiti or something like that, and then Vader uses the force to pull the wreckage together and it shows the shape of the ship, and it makes the Imperial officer feel very foolish. Vader then tells the Imperial officer to get troopers around the whole of the temple, get around the whole area and things, but no one is allowed to enter the temple because he's going in there alone. Jagastanu then says goodbye to Kator in this little archive thing and then takes a list of Force-sensitive children and leaves. Now, the list of Force-sensitive children is on a memory crystal and it's actually in a Clone Wars episode called Holocron Heist. It's the first episode of Series 2, I believe, and Cad Bane, a bounty hunter, tries to steal this list of Force-sensitive children. Um, I believe that it's confirmed that he was meant to be delivering it to Palpatine. But obviously go watch Clone Wars if you want to find out about that. There is also a thing, I tried looking online and it seems to be slightly different, but in the game uh, Jedi Fallen Order, um, which is excellent and it is a canon game and the campaign for it is brilliant, there is a part in there where the main character manages to get a list of four sensitive children. And what I think happened is that there's a Jedi called Eno Cordova who kind of guides you throughout the game via a droid um, because Eno Cordova isn't around anymore, it seems. And so he's let this he's done loads of recordings for this droid when you get to certain places and the recording plays and what i think happened is is either there are numerous copies of this list of force sensitive children or eno cordova specifically made one copy of it either way in canon there's only two known lists of force sensitive children one of which is this one which was in the clone wars and is currently in possession of jocasta new and the other one is in jedi fallen order but that's that's a whole nother thing i'm not going to spoil for other people 
So after Jocastanu leaves the little secret vault, she then has to go past the Grand Inquisitor again, who is still reading. He is then throwing books around, calling it drivel and things, and has basically no respect for it. And Jocastanu is trying to resist confronting him, but fails. She jumps off the top balcony, lands right in front of the Grand Inquisitor with her lightsaber drawn, and tells him to get his filthy hands off her books. And that is where issue number eight ends. So issue number nine starts with Vader entering the temple. There are clones that are blocking the exits and he speaks to one in particular who is called CC1010. His nickname is Fox. He is a clone commander, so his armor is red in certain places. And I thought I recognized him, so I had to look this up. And he is actually in the Clone Wars series a bit. He appears to be in an episode of series one called Hostage Crisis. He's also in an episode in series three called Heroes on Both Sides. And I think he kind of appears in passing in a couple of other episodes in general but it's quite i quite like it charles saul is very very good at doing other sort of connections to other star wars content and things and that was just one way instead of creating a whole new clone get to use one that has been seen previously so anyway, Jocastanu approaches the Grand Inquisitor and she doesn't recognize him, which angers him quite a lot. He confirms that she blocked him getting into a lot of the restricted files. She says, well, there was probably a reason for that and judging by how you're acting now, that's correct. They fight with their lightsabers quite a bit. He blames the Jedi for, you know, not letting him study any of the dark side stuff, only letting him study the light. And then after some fighting and whatnot, he eventually does beat her because her combat skills are quite limited. As the Grand Inquisitor raises his blade to strike down Jocasta Nu, she then chants a mantra. And the mantra is, I am one with the Force, the Force is with me. Now in last week's episode, number 65, funnily enough, by coincidence, in the main run of Star Wars comics, in issue 71 of the 2015 run of Star Wars comics, to be exact, there was actually a character in that who also does that mantra. Now the character in that Star Wars comic is because she knew about the Guardians of the Wills from Jeddah, who are Chirrut Imwe and Baze Malbus. They're two members of the Guardians of the Wheels, basically four sensitive monks in really, really layman's terms that are on Jeddah. So this character knows about that. And obviously, I'm one with the Force, the Force is with me. That is just a galaxy-wide mantra for Jedi or Force sensitives to use to help them try and focus. I mean, in modern era today, as in on Earth, in real life, you know, there are mantras that people use for meditation and all kinds of other things. So I quite like that connection there. Um, but yeah, so Jocasta is laying on the floor, basically eyes closed, waiting to be stricken down by the Grand Inquisitor, chants the mantra, and then a red lightsaber stops the Grand Inquisitor. And it shows it is Vader. Vader is trying to stop the Grand Inquisitor from killing Jocasta Nu because Vader needs her alive. The Grand Inquisitor demands trust and to find out why. Vader will not let him know, just says you have to follow my orders and things, I don't need you to trust me. And while they're kind of arguing, Jocasta manages to escape. She throws some archive data files at them that just look like really, really chunky books, kind of. But they're just like rectangles, squares that are glowing blue. And while they're distracted by that, she force pulls the saber towards her, her own one. And Vader is following her slowly, as he always does. And it's got Jocasta sort of calling out to him, saying things. Saying that she knows why he's there. He wants her to access the archives. And she says she won't let that happen. And goes into this other little secret room, it seems. And she purges all of the archives. Just wipes them all of data. And you see that in the archive room, all of these glowing blue square things all fade in colour and then go grey. And are no longer lit up. 
Vader continues the pursuit of Jocasta Nu and eventually goes into the vault room that she was in earlier. Kator, the droid, scans Vader and notes that it is Anakin Skywalker. He says that Anakin does not have access to go into the files, and so Vader throws his ignited lightsaber blade at Kator. Kator manages to just catch it and say that he's been trained to try and stop anyone getting into the archives that aren't allowed. They have a fight, and... Kator breaks Vader's hand. Now, obviously, Vader's hands are all mechanical anyway, but he grabs one and just squeezes it, and it crushes Vader's hand. And in response to that, Vader then uses his other hand to essentially rip Kato apart. He punches a hole through him, rips an arm off, all kinds of other things, and is just fighting without his saber. And while Vader is distracted, Jocasta Nu uses an ancient weapon powered by her lightsaber to fire this massive energy blast at Vader. And that is where issue number nine ends. It's worth noting here that the lightsaber rifle does appear elsewhere and it's called different names and things in certain places. But it's in the Light of the Jedi High Republic novel, also by Charles Saul. I think it's just referenced in that to my knowledge. It's also referenced in the Rise of Kylo Ren comic, uh, Law Santeca and Luke. I can't remember if they mention it or they see it, but it's in there as well. But it seems to be a different one. And then in the Doctor Afra comics, there's one which actually I tackled fairly recently. I think in episode 59 of Star Wars Comics in Canon in the Unspeakable Rebel Superweapon arc. They speak about this Jedi who left the Order and he had like a rifle that you could take like people out from hundreds of kilometers away and it was powered by a lightsaber. It's not the same one, or at least I can't find evidence that it is the same one, but it is very, very similar. In essence, you put a lightsaber in there as ammo and it uses the power of the crystal to do a pretty hefty and powerful blast. And I quite like these ancient weapons that use lightsabers for more offensive things. I'm sure the cannon will eventually go onto those things, but I would love to see those. I mean, a lightsaber rifle is just so cool and you get to see it in issue 10 a bit more as well. It's... Obviously, I always recommend people read these Darth Vader comics because they're some of my favorite of all Star Wars comics. I mean, the art style is incredible, you know, hats off to the three artists involved in this. But the lightsaber rifle is just such a cool concept. So with that said, let's move on to issue number 10. So this issue has some amazing artwork in. It's probably my favorite issue of the six that I'm tackling in this episode. And as I always say, guys, please make sure you pick up these issues either on Marvel Unlimited, I think they're on Hoopla, or just buy them because, you know, supporting the artists and people involved and also so you can read this over and over again because it's so much fun to keep on reading. Um, but moving on with the story, so you've got Jocastanu and Vader are facing off. So obviously at the end of the last issue, Jocastanu fired a shot of Vader, narrowly missing him. So she then fires another shot that he has to dive out the way for again, and then she fires another couple of shots. So in total, she fires five shots out of the lightsaber rifle, and then she pulls the trigger for a sixth time, and it's click out of ammo. Now, this whole confrontation is a double-page spread. It looks amazing, and Jocastanu is talking to Vader while shooting at him and things, and I just want to read out her dialogue because it is quite good, and then we'll move on with the story. So she says, I know who you are. The Vault Guardian identified you, Anakin Skywalker. I see it all now. The things unsaid in Master Obi-Wan's final message to the survivors of the Emperor's Purge. Palpatine was the Sith Lord we could not find. You, our great hope for the Force, were his target. He took you, made you his, twisted you into this new form submerged in the dark side. You are his tool, little better than a droid set to stamp out the light side of the Force. But this is impossible. The Force is eternal. It cannot be ended. It cannot be stopped. Not so long as life exists. It will find its vessels. It always does. It already has. You know this. There are others waiting out in the galaxy. When the time is right, the Jedi will rise again. Perhaps sooner than you... Click. And that click is her rifle out of ammo. 
Her lightsaber then pops out of the top of it and it is basically melted. She holds it in her hand and it's just smoking and is falling apart. Vader then deactivates his lightsaber and says, It is over, Master Wu, and as promised, you will not be harmed. The rifle that she's holding starts to beep. She looks at it and kind of thinks for a moment and then throws the rifle at Vader and uses the force to propel it. It then starts beeping more and more aggressively. Vader kind of slingshots it with the force against the wall behind him and before it hits the wall, it explodes and both Vader and Jokastanu are thrown across the room. You then see from the outside there are the clones surrounding the temple. They look up and see this explosion that has made a massive hole in the side of the temple. It shows then Jocastanu notices the big hole. She then runs towards the hole in the side of the wall and uses the force to grab a lightsaber because there's like lightsabers in like wall crevices uh, in the temple. She ignites a green lightsaber because her lightsaber is actually blue and then clones start firing into the hole where she is. She descends, force pushes a lot of them out of the way and then Vader emerges. Then the troopers start to fire upon Vader who is now in the hole that is left in the side of the temple. The clone trooper named Fox is in his own shuttle and he spots from a distance that Vader is the one in the hole. He tells all units to cease fire on Vader and then flies the ship towards him and Vader gets aboard. Vader questions why Fox didn't tell the other units about his description to not fire on him. Fox says he's sorry and before he can grovel any further, Vader snaps his neck. Jocastanu is still deflecting lots of bolts and things and she's now standing at the edge of the building. Her lightsaber then gets lost out of her hand and falls to the area below. Vader commands the clones to stop firing, and so Jocastanu looks around and then jumps backwards. She closes her eyes, whispering to herself, I'm one with the Force, and before she can finish her thought, Vader catches her with the Force and pulls her aboard. So she was obviously trying to jump off the building to basically kill herself, and Vader catches her mid-fall and brings her up, which is it's quite dark. Once she's aboard the transport, Vader gets the crystal off her and then puts it in this utility belt thing he has, and he manages to read it. He then questions to Jocastanu, like, what is it? What is this list? And she confirms that it's a list of four sensitive children that Palpatine is going to use to replace him. They have a little bit of a back and forth, and then one of the clones says that they can quiet the Jedi, and then... Jocastanu shouts out saying that Vader is Anakin Skywalker, he is a Jedi, how can you not see that? Vader then retorts by killing everyone on board, just throwing them out of this transport when it's quite high up over Coruscant. After Vader has thrown everyone out of the ship, and the ship starts to beep and things and starts to fall towards the planet, he says that was your doing. And she says, well what becomes of me? And then Vader's lightsaber ignites. And then the next panel you see is Vader, a little bit damaged, standing next to the wreckage of the transport, with no survivors. He then speaks to Palpatine over comms and confirms that Jocastanu died and that she was careless, that she perished in the attempt to escape. Palpatine then asks Vader if Vader learned anything from Jocastanu and he says, no master, nothing. And then he crushes the crystal that had the list of the four sensitive children on there. And then the final couple of pages of this comic just show it to be elsewhere. And you get to see that gentleman called Dar, who I mentioned slightly earlier on in the episode. He's just a human male who is helping Jocastanu start up like maybe a Jedi school or something. It's shown that he is now a lot older. He's got a lot of wrinkles on his face. His hair's gone all grey. He's got a nice big beard now. And obviously he's waited as long as he could for Jocastanu, but it's clear that she isn't coming back. So he clears everything up and then exits the waterfall. And once he's on the other side of the waterfall that is hiding this Jedi archive, he then ignites a detonator. It blows up, it covers the entrance behind the waterfall in rocks and things, and then there is a monologue. There's a monologue by Jocastanu, you know, when she was speaking to Vader saying the Force is eternal, that sort of thing, the things I sort of read out slightly earlier. It's got little pieces of that as you see each panel. 
Then the final panel is some of the rocks that are blocking the entrance and moving out of the way, and it opens up to reveal Luke Skywalker. And that is where this comic ends. Just before I start issue number 11, I just want to mention that Jocasta News little school sort of place is referred to as Jocasta News Cash. Now, it's not in other Star Wars content except the Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries, which I, I think I tackled on episode one of Star Wars Comics in Canon. And in that, it is mentioned by Luke when he's talking to Law Santeca and I think Kylo Ren when he was a kid, so Ben Solo, and he identifies it and he names it Jocasta News Cash. It's only mentioned because they find a temple that's got loads of artifacts in, and he says, Wow, the amount of artifacts here may even be a better collection than those in News School. So that's just one of those other nice little connections that Charles Saul is really good at doing. It's one of those things that I really recommend. If you read a book or a comic by a Star Wars author that you really enjoy, try reading their other Star Wars content. Because although obviously there's elements of the canon that all connect, the authors of Star Wars, obviously, when they create an idea or something, generally speaking, they know when it hasn't been used in the rest of the canon very much, so they can very easily refer back to it. So if you read the Lando comic miniseries, the Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries, the Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries, and the 2017 run of Darth Vader comics, as well as the ongoing 2020 run of the main run of Star Wars, Charles Saul has put little things in a lot of them that all kind of interconnect. And it's the same with Claudia Gray. Um, I spoke to her about this a little bit in my interview with her which was released December 2020 and after I'd read all of her books that were at that time as before the High Republic book Into the Dark was released so her books Leia Princess of Alderaan Master and Apprentice Lost Stars and Bloodline there are little things that just happen in all of the books in essence as in there's like a a drink that's mentioned in a couple of them there's a couple of planets that are mentioned so it's almost like a canon within the canon and it just it makes it more fulfilling as a Star Wars content consumer so I would really recommend people check out the other Charles Saul comics as well because they are really really cool or if you can't be bothered or maybe can't afford it or something just check out all the other episodes of Star Wars comics in canon because I think now I have tackled all the Charles Saul comics apart from the ongoing 2020 Star Wars run, which I will get on to shortly. Anyway, moving on, let's get on to issue number 11 of this, which is the first of a two-part arc, The Rule of Five. So, on to issue 11. It starts with Vader and the Ninth Sister going to a bar where a Jedi fought in a bar fight and seemingly used the Force. Now, the Ninth Sister is one of the Inquisitors. The Inquisitors name themselves like a number and then generally their gender being a brother or sister. So, obviously, this is the Ninth Sister. Now, to my knowledge, we don't have a cohesive list of every single brother and sister. It's not entirely clear if you have the sixth brother and the sixth sister, or if the numbers with the gender is its own thing. Not overly sure on that, but we do get to see a few of them. In Star Wars Rebels, there's quite a lot of them, and in Jedi Fallen Order, there's a few of them. In fact, the ninth sister that I've just mentioned, she's actually in Jedi Fallen Order. She's one of the sort of bosses in the game, but that game takes place like several years after these comics. I believe Jedi Fallen Order is about five years after Order 66, and these comics take place within a year of Order 66, so it's only a few years later. But the Ninth Sister, she is a Dewatan, which is a species I've mentioned before, and they're very big hulking creatures. And the Ninth Sister's real name, or real name before she became an Inquisitor, was actually Masona Tide, and she was turned into an Inquisitor because she was basically tortured into it. And she also has had her eye taken by Darth Vader at this point, which she comments on at the start of this comic as well, just further showing how brutal the Inquisitor training is. I use training in air quotes. So anyway, back to the story. So 
The Ninth Sister confirms that her speciality when she was a Jedi was reading people's emotions, and she knows that Vader is dying to fight. And he tells her just to stay where she is, and he's going to go into the bar by himself. And then when he's out of earshot, she mutters under her breath, and dying to die. Which further, that's quite a common theme in this Charles Saul run of comics. And by the time we get to the very end, it'll be even more clear in things that it's just Vader doesn't really... He doesn't not want to live necessarily, and he doesn't really not want to die in a sense. He's kind of in this strange thing where he's constantly being tortured, but he's not just going to roll over and let himself die. He kind of wants to fight someone who can best him and kill him. It's a very, very interesting perception of a more young Vader than we're used to in the original trilogy and things, and it's a theme that is reoccurring across this, so I just want to flag that to you guys. Um, but yeah, moving on. So Vader enters this bar and then there's a group trying to basically capture him in some way. They try and use this thing called a tractor rifle, which, you know, tractor beam, tractor rifle, it just pulls things towards you and tries to steal Vader's lightsaber. Vader then tries to pull back with the force. The saber's then kind of stuck in the middle of the room and then just splits apart and the crystal falls out. The group then throw an ion grenade, which disables all weapons in the area to try and prevent a firefight. And now this gang confirm they still don't want to hurt anyone and they activate shields. Now, the shields are personal energy shields. They're very similar to the ones that Droidicas have uh, in the prequels. So the best way to remember the Droidicas, for me, it's Star Wars Battlefront 2 back on the PS2. Um, but in Phantom Menace, one of the first things you see is when Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are approached by Droidicas and then they go, you know, master, destroyers, and then they use force speed and run away. And it's the only time in the whole of the movies you ever see anyone use force speed. But still... In the game Star Wars Battlefront 2, the new one that's on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, that sort of thing, which has a canon campaign mode and things, there is personal energy shields used in that. They also show up in the Clone Wars animated show as well. Um, so it's just something usually associated more so with the prequels, but it is, as it sounds, it's just a personal energy shield. So in retaliation to this gang, um, there's three of them sparking up their energy shields. Vader then slams fellow bar patrons into the shields trying to damage and destroy them. He tries to communicate to the ninth sister using comms and she ignores them. And she says to herself, oh, it's too bad the iron grenade took out his comms as well. And kind of smiles and just stands there while watching smoke slowly come out of the bar. The gang then managed to escape and then Vader follows after grabbing the crystal that fell on the floor. They try and escape on a speeder and then Vader calls the ninth sister a traitor saying that clearly she's the one who betrayed him. She walked him into a trap and things. She says that she definitely wasn't the case if she was going to try and trap him. First of all, she would never do that because she's not stupid enough. But if she would, she wouldn't go along with him in the mission to do that. And she says it could be any of the Inquisitors. I mean, they are all ex-Jedi. They didn't exactly choose to become Inquisitors necessarily. Without very many words, Vader then goes after the trio that are escaping on speeder. He tells Ninth Sister to stay where she is or she will die. So Vader pursues this trio and they're on like a motorway sort of thing. He then throws a nearby vehicle at them and they just use their shields and manage to survive being crushed. Vader then uses the force to pick up the daughter, holds a lightsaber to her throat and threatens her. It's then shown that this trio are two parents, the mum and a dad, and then their daughter. And the parents try and bargain the daughter's life to help him. So they say, look, we'll help you. We can slice the job, find out who hired us to try and get you. And we'll do all of that if you can spare our daughter. But if you kill our daughter, we're not going to help you. And we're happy to die if you kill her. So Vader agrees and then the daughter promises not to take revenge or the mum and dad force her to say, look, I won't take revenge on you. I'll just leave you to it and I'll just escape. So this girl runs away and then the mum slices into the job and says that 
someone from the Republic did it. More specifically, from the top of the Republic building, which could be Palpatine's office. So that's the end of issue 11. So moving on to the final issue of this arc. Now, I do want to quickly add here that the daughter of those two is a character called Chanath Char. Now, I'm not going to go into huge details about her, but she is basically in the Lando comics that I mentioned slightly earlier. So lots of connections to the Lando comics in this. So go over to episode 18 of Star Wars Comics and Canon, and you'll hear about that. And I think Chanath Char is a bounty hunter at the time of the original trilogy. And apparently she's going to be in the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event, which I'm also tackling monthly on this show so lots of reasons to read that Lando comic it is a really fun comic as well you get some cool backstory to Lobot and whatnot so yeah check that out or check out episode 18 of Styles Comics in Canon so moving on we are on to the final issue number 12 so Vader's on his ship and his nearby droid confirms that the job came from the Imperial Executive Building much as Chandler Charles' mum said while this is happening, Vader is constructing a new lightsaber and it shows to be the one that he is infamous for. And the cover art of this issue shows him holding the new lightsaber because obviously the lightsaber split apart previously and that was actually the hilt of Kirak in Phila, the guy from the previous volume. So now Vader has constructed a lightsaber which is the one we all know him from in the original trilogy and etc. So the ship again gets to Coruscant and the ninth sister is piloting the ship. She confirms their signal is being jammed so they can't transmit the codes to show that they're an Imperial vehicle and the ship has been tagged as a separatist threat. So the planetary defences then fire missiles. Vader gets ninth sister to move out the way so he can fly. He avoids some of the missiles, shoots some of them, manages to avoid the brunt of the explosion but the ship is caught in part of the explosion and has to crash land. So Vader goes to where Palpatine is, where he's walking around the Jedi archives. He is holding the Momin mask that I mentioned earlier and comments that Jocasta had some very interesting artifacts. Vader asks Palpatine if this was a test. Palpatine says it's not. And so Vader says, well, we need to find out who did this. And Palpatine says, no, we don't need to do anything. I am far too busy trying to build my new empire. If you want to go out and find this person who tried to take a hit out on you, that's on you. But be aware that as the empire grows, we're always going to have enemies. There are always going to be people trying to kill you so if this is what you want to do you can but you need to sort it yourself meanwhile in a bar there's two people who are discussing the attempts on vader's life they're wearing masks so you can't see their faces and they don't know who darth vader is they can't figure out where he came from what his relation to palpatine is or anything like that and it's showing that while they're having this conversation vader is meditating he's doing another sort of vision again and some of the artwork when vader is meditating is incredible i don't want to necessarily describe it i might take a photo of one of the panels just so you guys can kind of see but it's just there's so many layers to the visions in this comic run that I just absolutely love. So I just recommend again people check this out. So in Vader's meditation, he thinks about the Imperial officer that he choked earlier on in this arc. So he talks to Palpatine and says that it must be consequences to people trying to take out a hit on his life. He says that he's thought of a thing and Palpatine is a bit skeptical, but he says, fine, go ahead with this plan, but leave Tarkin out of this. I require him. So then it shows that Vader and Palpatine gather all of the Imperial officers. Now, just for clarity, an Imperial officer is just a higher up, like a superior or something, two stormtroopers, just for clarity. Not always two stormtroopers, you know, Imperial officers do a wide array of things, but it's just not the foot soldiers or pilots. So Palpatine does this big speech that lasts, you know, a page or so, says that there's a new hierarchy in place. He understands people aren't fully understanding them. But in truth, you have to listen to Darth Vader. Vader, anything that comes from him is come straight from Palpatine. You must listen to him just like you would listen to Palpatine himself. So Vader then steps forward and then calls five names. 
these five people stand out and then they start to choke. And he says that he has chosen five people randomly to die to make an example of those who took a hit out on his life. Just to say, don't mess with me again because I will kill you and I will easily kill all of you if I have to find out who it is. And then the final panels of this comic shows that Vader is once again meditating and you see that He's like cross-legged without any armor or anything like that on. His skin just looks reddish and burnt and there's no real features. It's a very featureless silhouette in a sense, apart from the red burns and his glowing eyes. And when he's meditating, it's over like an ocean and there's clouds around and lightning and things. And there's these little blue glowing butterfly light things. And they've been showing whenever he's done these little meditations throughout the comics thus far in this run. And it shows that there's auras coming from him, these like black tendrils coming out of him. And they basically slice through the butterflies that are around him. And then it comes out on the final panels is Vader sat his chair, staring at a window in front of him that is all cracked. And that is where the run ends. Now, I don't normally get into this sort of stuff, but I want to say I believe that the aura slicing through the butterflies and things, from the imagery I can tell, it's just kind of showing that the dark side is taking Vader over more and more and more. And there's less and less light within him. Because in the earlier issues, when you see him meditating, there are some butterflies and things. It's a little bit lighter. The ocean that he's hovering over isn't quite as rough. There's not as many clouds. And as this run goes on, it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's just showing that Vader's sinking more and more into the dark side and stepping further and further away from the light side. And I just think the imagery in these comics are just incredible. Really, really, obviously, Charles Hall wrote them, so it's amazing. But also all of the people involved, you know, that coloured it and penciled it and inked it and things. It, it's just amazing. This entire comic run, I love it. So um that's basically where we're ending here. So what have we got coming up for the future and what can you guys look forward to? So I haven't fully figured out what I'm doing next week then. Um, I may end up doing War of the Bounty Hunters, the next batch of that, or I may just do the first batch of the 2020 run of Dr. Afro Comics by Alyssa Wong. Now, the only reason I'm thinking I may do the War of the Bounty Hunters one is because after next week, I'm going to be going on holiday with Megan and I'm going to release some like special episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon, but they aren't going to be in the same format. Um, I've got a book review that I'm halfway through recording, which is A Test of Courage, one of the High Republic books. So I'll be releasing that at one point. And then I think on the other week, I'm just going to release um, some Patreon stuff I've done. So me and Megan have spoken about the Star Wars films. We did like a big rewatch and we spoke about our thoughts on all of them. So I'll probably release like a few of them uh, in one episode just so you guys can A, get a taster of what you can find on my Patreon. And then if you want to support the show for as little as £1 a month, then you can go and do that. Um, but also it just means that you guys aren't left without any content while I'm gone. And I think the majority of people who listen to the show aren't Patreon supporters. Uh, apologies to anyone who is a Patreon supporter, but don't worry. There's other going to be more content on Patreon while I'm away. I've been recording backlogs and stuff so we'll be able to have a few things released while i'm away and genuine chit chat i'll be doing something vaguely similar um, but because there's going to be the two-week gap of normal episodes i think i'm going to lean more on trying to do the war of the bounty hunter stuff but i'm waiting on two more comics to be delivered and obviously if they're not delivered in time i'll have to do the dr afra 2020 run that first batch and war of the bounty hunters will have to wait till i return but you'll find out next week when I uh, when the episode gets released what it's going to be. So if you have access to all of those comics, read them all. Uh, if not, cross your fingers and hope for the one that you have read. Uh, aside from that, 
obviously, as I said, there's a book review coming out, um, which is quite cool. I'm currently reading The Rising Storm as well. I also haven't done the book review for Into the Dark yet, so I'm planning on doing that at some point. I'm just doing a test of courage first because I read that more recently. And as I said, I've recorded half of that. Um, aside from that, you know, for the next few um, episodes of Star Wars Comics and Canon from when I get back, it's going to be, you know, finishing off the main run of Star Wars comics, continuing with Vader, continuing with War of the Bounty Hunters, and then getting Afra to catch up with the War of the Bounty Hunters that I started a couple of months ago. And then once I've done that, I will probably end up doing the Bounty Hunters comics to then get them caught up with War of the Bounty Hunters. And then I presume around that time, I will probably have finished this Vader run because this was issue 12. I think there's three more arcs to go. I think it's 25 issues in total. But the last one, Fortress Vader, is quite a long arc. I think it's like eight issues long. So, But I know the last one's just like a vision thing. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out uh, when we get there. But I'm basically going to try and make sure everything is kind of caught up to War of the Bounty Hunters. And then once I finish with War of the Bounty Hunters around that time, I'll be able to kind of reevaluate where to go. There are some IDW comics I want to do that are canon. I want to tackle some more High Republic stuff. I want to do the comics for them. But at the moment, they've only finished the first arc. Obviously, with one issue coming out a month, it means there's quite you know, I've got quite a long time. If I do each episode when I do an arc, which is between four and six episodes, really that's four to six months of comics. Uh, so it means I can, you know, catch up fairly quickly. There's also a mini series coming out to do with the High Republic as well. So maybe I'll end up just kind of finishing all the bounty hunts and doing loads of High Republic stuff. Who knows? But if you have a preference, please contact me and let me know. Um, aside from that, I've got Genuine Chit Chat, my other show. Check that out if you don't already listen to that. I've had many members of Comics Emotion on the show. I've got many more of them to come on. Basically, anyone in Comics Emotion you haven't heard on Genuine Chit Chat, at some point I will be having them on the show. Then there's also, I've been doing a lot of guest spots recently, so I was recently on an episode of Mandatory Marvel and DC, spoke about uh, the new 52 comic volume endgame. Um, the episode that dropped of the day of recording this, so Thursday, um, so it's the 29th of July, I was on an episode of Indie Comic Spotlight. Myself and Tony are continuing our run of the Mark Russell comics. So we've done The Second Coming, we've done Billionaire Island, and we've done The Lone Ranger, and this time we're tackling the Flintstones which was something I was a bit sceptical on because, you know, I liked the Flintstone comics a little bit, but I wasn't really sure how well a comic would do, like a modern-day Flintstone comic, in a sense. And it's really, really good. It very much surprised me. You don't have to necessarily have read these Flintstone comics to appreciate the show. It's one of those ones where, because the Flintstones are already, like, an existing characters and franchise, people already generally know about them. We talk about how they differ from the counterparts, and we talk about, you know, what happens story-wise a little bit, but we don't spoil things because there's a lot to unpack, and we do not we do not talk about all of it, trust me. Um, so make sure you check that out as well. I've also recently been on an episode of Star Wars Timeline, which I mentioned in the intro and things, but a link to that is in the description. Make sure you check that out too. Uh, aside from that, really, it's just, you know, look over my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. There's a link to it in the description. And, you know, for £1 a month, you get access to a special Patreon RSS feed that you can put into the podcast app of your choice. And you get access to early genuine chit chat episodes and when two parters drop you get the second part when everyone else gets the first part same one nice unsplit episode and then me and megan do our afterthought shows so it's you know once a week sometimes twice uh, we release our 
reviews on TV shows, movies and things. We're going to the cinema quite a lot. In fact, tonight we're going to go see Space Jam Legacy. So we'll be recording a little thing on that. They're only normally like 10 to 20 minutes long generally. If there are new films, we don't spoil it. If there are older films and things, we generally do spoil them. Um, we just recorded one for V Vendetta, which I think is going to be released soon because Megan hadn't seen that prior. So there's lots of little bits and pieces that you can find that I've been involved with. But as always, in the show notes of this episode, I make them quite detailed with the guest spots I've been doing recently and all kinds of other stuff as well. There's a few other guest spot things that are going to be coming up soon, which will be released, but I will talk about them at the end of the following few episodes. But anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you listening, especially all the way to the end of this ramble stuff. Make sure you check out all the other amazing shows on Comics in Motion. It's so much fun being a part of such a cool network and family. And there's just so many great episodes of things that I'm listening to. There's not enough time in the day to check them all out. But guys, that is enough from me. I'll be back next Saturday with the next thing I tackle, either Dr. Afra 2020, the first volume of that, or the next batch of War of the Bounty Hunters. And uh, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.